When you become a sole practitioner or start your own architecture practice, you can end up working in the same way that you used to do when you worked as an employee at another practice. So why does this happen? And how can you break free from the nine to five? That's exactly what we're going to talk about today at Architecture Business Club, the weekly podcast for solo and small firm architecture practice owners just like you who want to build a profitable, future-proof architecture business that fits around their life. I'm the host, John Clayton. If you want to get notified when I release a new episode and get access to free resources and exclusive offers, then go to mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC and sign up to my free weekly email newsletter. Now let's talk about breaking free from the nine to five. Anna Lundberg is all about crafting careers and businesses that don't just focus on traditional success measures, but take a more balanced approach. As the founder of One Step Outside, she is on a mission to help experienced professionals break free from the nine to five and pursue a more meaningful definition of success. She is the host of the Reimagining Success podcast and the author of several books, And she's juggling all this whilst raising two little kiddos down in sunny Dorset. You can take Anna's Five Pillars Business Assessment Scorecard at onestepoutside.com forward slash scorecard. Anna, welcome to Architecture Business Club. Thanks so much, John. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, Anna, before we dig into the topic that we're going to talk about today, you you decided to leave the corporate world, I think it was around about 10 years ago, during a sabbatical in South America. Firstly, which countries did you visit while you were there in South America? Oh, I did that thing you're not supposed to do. I tried to do it all in one go. So I did eight countries. I flew to Quito in Ecuador and and sailed the Galapagos Islands. And then I worked my way through Peru, Chile, Argentina, tiny bit of Brazil. I've left that for another time, which of course I haven't managed to complete the last 10 years. And then Paraguay, Uruguay, I feel like I'm missing something. Bolivia, is that eight? Yeah, it was the most incredible experience. It was three months and yeah, one of the best decisions of my life that led to another very good decision, which was to to leave uh, my corporate job. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like an incredible trip. I'm really interested to know what what was it that happened during that trip that made you leave your job? I find it such an interesting question, especially now a decade later. <laughs> it's only a few more days I can say that and then it'll be more than a decade. So it's quite a moment of reflection for me. I had always had this general sense of wanting to go to South America. There's this film Up, Disney's Pixar Up, where um, this little scout boy says, adventure is out there. And I ran around saying this and for what it's worth. And I actually realized that um sort of a very vague dream, I suppose. I'm really pleased with that. And I, I wanted to learn Spanish and there were reasons for it. Um, but I guess the career reason was that I had studied one thing. So I'd studied international relations and politics and economics. And then I'd ended up, as many people do in particular in the UK, in an accidental career in marketing. So as amazing as that was, and I don't regret it because it's opened so many doors for me, the network, the learning, the credibility and so on. It wasn't really where I wanted to be. So there was always a bit of a disconnect. So I would never have been brave enough to just take the leap and leave my job from one day to the next, but taking a bit of a sabbatical 
was already a really courageous thing for me to do. And then once I was out of my comfort zone, out of my bubble, away from all the people who were kind of in the same lifestyle on the same career path as me, I met so many people from, you know, different backgrounds, divorced, single, married, old, young, unemployed, quit their jobs, on a sabbatical, whatever. And it just opened my mind to so many possibilities and it allowed me to immerse myself in personal development and to read and to listen and and then to take that quite scary step of quitting. I knew that if I'd come back to Geneva, I was in Geneva, Switzerland at the time, um, I would have just very quickly got very comfortable back in my old job in my flat with my friends and so on. So yeah, it was little, little steps, I suppose, medium-sized steps <laughs> towards that bigger ultimate leap of, um, of leaving my job. Wow. Uh, travel certainly is a fantastic way to broaden your horizons. I absolutely love travel. And, and we, we might touch upon that again later on in the chat, actually. The main thing we're going to talk about, though, is you have a framework that you've developed to help people to build a life outside of the traditional nine to five. And I'd really like to talk about that today. Before we we dig into that framework. There are five pillars to this framework. Could you could you give us a quick overview of those five pillars that make up this framework that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So it's come quite organically from my own work of leaving my corporate job and building my business over what is now 10 years. And then also, of course, working with clients. Initially, I did one-to-one work and it felt like everything was very bespoke and every person is different. But, you know, and um, as it turns out, we all tend to go through quite similar things. And, and broadly speaking, we kind of need the same things as well. So I developed this framework. So you mentioned my podcast is called Reimagining Success. And the first pillar is getting clear on your version of success. The second pillar is cultivating confidence and resilience all around your mindset. Pillar three is developing the right business model or choosing, building the right business model. And I know that will be an interesting topic, I think, for us today. Pillar four is building an effective personal brand. Again, a very interesting topic. And pillar five, they're all interesting topics. Designing flexible work-life integrations and making this big, exciting vision all work in a practical day-to-day sense. In a, in the theory, seamless way with personal life. Of course, that's never the truth, but uh, some <laughs> effort at making it harmoniously deliver on your on your bigger vision. So those are the five pillars that I've developed over, I guess, the last 10 years. Brilliant. I, I love it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging in and talking a little bit more about each of them. We're going to start with that first pillar, which is the, the definition of, of success. When I started my business, I didn't really define what my version of success would be, other than perhaps earning a, sim, you know, a, a certain amount of money. I think initially it was just, can I at least earn what I was earning in my salaried position? when I start out, that was probably the only kind of definition I had. What could I have done differently at the very beginning? That's really interesting because in a way, the revenue, the income is one of the most important goals, right? In order to, strictly speaking, call this business a success, it needs to replace your salary. So I think that's a pretty good measure. And some of us don't even have that measure. So I think you did pretty well there. The problem with only focusing on the money side is that we're probably leaving our full-time job for a number of reasons. The number one is not usually, in this case, earning more money, and it's certainly not getting a more regular, consistent salary, all of the 
the general wisdom, I guess, suggests that it's more risky to have your own business and we can question those assumptions, of course. But generally, we're not leaving for financial reasons. It's, for me, it was things like freedom, flexibility and fulfillment, I call it. So more freedom to travel, to be creative, to have autonomy, to be your own boss, to work more flexible hours on your own terms, when and where you want to around family and dogs and so on. And then also fulfillment to do fulfilling work. By definition, having your own business is for whatever reason, so much more meaningful, I think, than working for someone else. So those reasons drive us. And we're not, if we're not clear on those reasons, we can end up just recreating our job. If the only metric you're thinking about is money, first of all, you might then see yourself as a failure just because you're not earning as much as you want, even though actually you're having the most amazing time, you're present with your children, you know, you've created this incredible business that actually is very fulfilling and you're certainly on the right track. Or you're focusing only on the money and yes, you're earning the money, but you know, you're unhappy, you're stressed and you've just recreated what you had before, if not made it worse, because now you have to work even harder to maintain that salary. So, you know, it's so important to know what you want and why you want it before you even start worrying about the how. Um, and if you don't know where you're wanting to get to, how on earth are you going to have a chance to, to work out the right way to get there? Got it. So if we can be, well, become a bit more self-aware and have that clarity on what is your definition of success and where is it that you're hoping to, to get to with your business, then that can help you uh, make better decisions from the off, I guess. Yeah. And self-awareness is a great thing that you picked up on. I think it all starts with self-awareness. Who am I? What's important to me? What am I good at? What do I enjoy? Those are things that we might not have asked ourselves since school when I was thinking about what career to follow, I did all these quizzes and things. And you know, after a while, you just stop asking those questions. And I think it's so valuable, even not just at this moment of quitting and starting your own business, but you know, every year at the start of new year is a great opportunity to question, okay, is it still meaningful what I'm working towards? Do I want to shift my goals? Has something else become more important? And, and to reassess what that success looks like now. Yeah, great. I think that's probably a good point to move on to pillar number two, which is about confidence and resilience. Running a business, I mean, it can be hard. It can be tough running your own business, especially if you're a sole practitioner. So what can we do to cope better with the day-to-day -day challenges that, that we all face as business owners? I think it's a really important question that, again, we don't really ask ourselves. You said an interesting thing there, you're a sole practitioner, but being a sole practitioner doesn't mean you have to do it alone. It doesn't mean that you have to hire a whole team of people and build a bit big you know, organization, but it also doesn't mean you have to do everything yourself. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago, you know, the stories or I hinted at the stories we tell ourselves about a, a business is riskier and I can't possibly charge that much or this won't work and so on. And part of the confidence, I think, is looking at some of those assumptions and stories that we have and asking ourselves, are they really true? Because we can easily limit ourselves. I'm not good enough. Who am I to think that this is possible? And that's not very helpful. The mindset that's required to run your own business is very different, certainly to the mindset I needed to be an employee in this big organization. And, and then, as you said, inevitably, unfortunately, there are going to be ups and downs, which is normal. But I think when we have our own practice, it's that much more palpable and visceral somehow. We feel it more because we care more, because we're so uniquely tied up in this business. We are our business to a large extent. And so that's when we need to develop that resilience. So taking care of ourselves, making sure we have a support structure, whether it's friends, 
or peers or mentors who can guide us and really thinking about that and and not just yeah hustling and working hard and focusing again on the money as we were talking about but really thinking about okay how can I take care of myself so that I can take care of the business and my family and so that it can be a sustainable success and not just this sort of initial hurrah I've, I've hit that income but then actually you'll crash and burn afterwards because you've worked so hard. That's a really good point and something that I wanted to just pick up there was the you mentioned there about the value of um, being part of a community and having other people around you just because you maybe your vision for the the business might be that you are you might mainly envisage that you're kind of working on your own perhaps and maybe you don't want to hire a massive in-house team in your, your practice where you're working but you, you you still don't have to do it alone and there are other ways that you can build a support network around you whether that's being part of other communities whether it's your professional organization whether it's an online community whether it's people that are on the same journey that you're on and I guess with the support staff side of it that there are non-traditional ways to build your team outsourcing for example it's something that you don't have to go down the traditional hiring route if you need some extra support within your team yeah and outsourcing you know can also include your personal life right we just had the cleaner come this morning and i can't tell you how amazing that is right if you can pay someone else to do something faster better cheaper then you know it's it's definitely worth looking at and and i always think of myself as a solo practitioner but actually i've got a podcast editor I've got an assistant and um, I have an accountant, I have a graphic designer. None of these people work for me as such, but they're all part of my group. And coming back to your initial point, the community is so important. You can feel so alone and isolated. And my goodness, it's so, so important to go out there and both have other people who can empathize and go, oh, poor you, Anna. I know it's so hard when things don't go as you want them to, but also inspire you. And um, things like when I wanted to write a book, I could sit at home going, well, I really want to write a book. What if I could write a book? It's such an amazing thing. Or as I did, I can go and do writing courses or join writing Facebook groups or listen to writing podcasts. Suddenly I'm surrounded by people who are out there doing the thing. They're writing, they are authors. It's not a question of, oh, if only I could write. It's, hey, yes, I can. How am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? And it becomes a much more real conversation. So surrounding yourself with people who are already in the trenches doing the thing you want to do is so powerful. Great point. The next pillar that I'd, I'd like to dig into, it, pillar number three is about the business model. This is, I think, is a really interesting point that we need to discuss. When most people, I think many people start their architecture-based business, they start their own practice, it, it can often end up being a version of the role that they had in their previous practice or, or the role that they did for their previous employer, they essentially end up creating themselves a new job. I think that is hindsight. That's kind of what I did when I started my own business. And I just wonder what other types of business models that we could consider. There are people out there that are thinking about leaving their employer, uh, maybe starting up a new business for themselves, Maybe the, the business that they're in at the moment, let's assume that it's they're working in an architecture practice and it's one-to-one -one client services. What other things could they consider in terms of business model for their new business in the industry? It, it's such an important thing to consider it. And I think when we don't do it, just like 
the bigger version of success, our definition of success, we either end up copying someone else, either, as you said, your existing model, which, you know, you're again, you're leaving for a reason. So it might not be that you want to replicate that exact thing. And or you end up with an accidental business model. So you don't really think it through. And before you know it, you know, either you're charging too little, you have too many clients, the wrong kind of clients, you're working the wrong kind of hours, whatever it is. So it starts again with that self-awareness of asking yourself, who am I? What am I? What's my life situation? I talk about the push-pull reasons of leaving your job. So what were the things that pushed you out of this organization? It might not be the employer or something. It might be that you simply just wanted to change and you wanted your independence and so on. But if there are negative things about the way you were working before, what are they? And then what are the pull reasons? So what are the positive things? You saw a different, better way of doing things, perhaps. So how could you create that? And without prescribing, I never want to prescribe a business model. I find one thing that's really powerful is to look to other industries. Because it may be that if you're just doing, you know, I get clients who say, but all the other shiatsu practitioners or museum consultants or life coaches or whatever are charging this much. So that's what I have to do. Or everyone else in my industry is doing um, reels on Instagram and they're running these group programs and they're doing these calls and they're charging this much. And, and you just feel like that must be the right thing. So I have to copy that. And ultimately, again, I think it's either going to fail because it's not meaningful. It doesn't fit with my personality. I'm trying to be someone I'm not. It doesn't fit with my lifestyle or it will succeed, but it won't be how I want to live my life. I'll have created a monster that isn't going to be particularly fulfilling or rewarding for me. So I think it's more about asking yourself the questions. Again, the things you didn't like about where you've come from and the things that you'd like to add more of, have less of. And then look to other industries for inspiration. You know, there there are, you know, even think of like a, a neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon, how do they run their practice or, um, you know, in psychiatry, some kind of medical field, there are different ways. And just thinking of parallels, thinking of things that they do that you could bring into your practice. But above all, it also comes down to your preferences, your practical parameters of the hours you want to work, the money you need to be earning, what kind of commute do you want to have? And, you know, we, we're on a podcast here. There are so many ways in which you can get your name out there. Are you the kind of person who likes to go out and network and chat with people? Do you want to be on a stage and talk about, you know, futuristic design principles? Do you want to speak behind, you know, a microphone rather than being on camera? Are you a writer? Presumably, if you're in this business, you could be quite designy and visual. So is there a channel? Is there a medium that would suit that? So it's all about the preferences you have, the ideas you have, and how can you craft something that's uniquely you and then delivering on the big vision that you hopefully identified in pillar one? Could you give maybe even just one or two examples of a different type of business model as opposed to being a one-to-one -one service provider where you're exchanging time for money, you're working one-to-one -one with your, your clients? What is... Just an example. I'm just talking really broad overview because there might be listeners out there, people that are, you know, subscribers to the podcast that just may not have any concept of what the other alternatives might be. Remember, don't forget to subscribe to my free weekly email newsletter. You can do that at mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC. And if you enjoy this episode, then please visit podchaser.com search for Architecture Business Club and leave a five-star review. Now back to the show. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, the idea that comes to mind, which is not so far from your world, is a graphic designer, let's say. The obvious yeah. thing is a graphic designer would work, obviously, in an organization and they would design graphics for something or other. The the natural inclination when you leave that to, to start your own business is to start creating graphics for people. So it's sort of a done-for-you service, you might call it. I would create logos and brands, packages and things, and you could buy those. Obviously, well, not obviously, but unfortunately, I'm probably going to undercharge for those services. So I'm not going to earn a lot of money and I'm going to need a lot of clients. And I'm very much charging by the hour and basically tie, tying my time to to those projects and those clients. So I need to do more and more logos in order to make that worthwhile. Plus, actually, it's pretty much a commodity, right? These days, I'm sure AI could give you a logo, um, not to in any way undermine what designers can do. And I certainly worked with an incredible human designer for my logo. But, you know, you can download templates and all sorts, right? So you have that service, which is the basic assumption. You could go down to a cheaper, more passive income, which, of course, is always attractive, where you would design a whole set of templates that people can then sort of DIY it. They can download your template and they can just kind of um, tweak it with their brand coloring and so on. That would probably be a cheaper thing that you're selling. But once you've put in the initial effort, boom, done, they can just download it. You could have a, uh, what else could you, you could have a full-on um, flagship program where you don't just design the logo, but you do their whole brand architecture. Apologies for using that word in a different context, but you use the whole um, strategy and vision. And of course, you could then add copywriting. You'd have a team of people doing copy and not just the graphic design. You could have web design, web developments. You could go almost into a full service agency to do the big shebang. You could teach people to do their own graphic design. You could then teach graphic designers how to run their business. You could coach graphic designers how to do what you've done, which then is always a great model, I find, that I'm both being the thing and I'm teaching how to do the thing. Um, so that's just, you know, you can sell the obvious service. You can package it up in a different way as a product that people can download rather than a service. You can upscale, upsell, and deliver a full package solution. You can teach it. Um, there's almost no end to what you can do. And I feel like even those examples are quite limited compared to what you could do if you only got a bit creative, you know. So it's really thinking. The other really interesting parallel is if you bring two things together that perhaps don't seem like they make sense, but that is all the more interesting because you're bringing a unique blend of your particular experience with the industry and, and it just becomes a really new and different ways of doing things. So I think, yeah, don't, don't limit yourself too soon. Really think about, wow, what would be an interesting way? And in fact, just to, to bring it down to more practical questions again, to ask yourself, you want to ask the, the client you're working with, how do they want something delivered? And then the other side of the question is, how do you want to deliver the solution? Right? So there's always those two sides to the coin. There's no point in me saying, oh, I'm going to, um, yeah, do a course and then, none of my clients want a course. They actually want me to do the thing with them and vice versa. Say that the client wants me to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be designing logos the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. There's no point in me doing that because I'm not going to have a fulfilling business. So I want you to really think about the two sides of the coin, both what the client wants and what's the best way to deliver that solution, but also your preferences and, and how do you want to be running your business the next many, many years to come, hopefully. That's brilliant. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, so there's, just to recap on that, aside from just delivering the one-to-one -one services that you may have been doing already for your other employer, you could look to create templates, resources, reusable bits and pieces that you maybe already have 
from your work already that you could then resell. You could look at creating a flagship program. You could upsell other services. You could teach other people. You could mentor other people. All sorts of different options there. And the other thing you mentioned was about actually talking to your clients, uh, speaking to your audience there and finding out what it is that they need help with and how they'd prefer that to be delivered. So I guess it's finding that sweet spot, isn't it, of a pain point that the the customer is struggling with, something that aligns with your area of expertise and then figuring out the the process of how it's delivered. So it's it's delivered in a format that, you know, they're willing to exchange money for, they're willing to invest in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one final consideration, although of course there are many, would be thinking of a progression and how people can get to know you. What's interesting in, in your industry, I think, is that, you know, we worked and we can talk about this with an architectural firm recently, and it's kind of all or nothing. <laughs> we never heard of them. We get to, okay, yes, and they've designed our house and we've built it which is huge. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of um, trust to put on someone. And I recently worked with an interior designer and we looked at, it could be the same thing, right? But ideally she'd want to design a whole new house, let's say. Perhaps it's a too big a risk, especially for a new service provider um, to expect someone who doesn't know her to invest hundreds of thousands of pounds in designing a whole new house. However, she could obviously have a package that's designing a room. Below that, she could offer sort of a ask me anything consultation where it's an hour's call where people can just, you know, I want to kind of design my own room, but I feel like I'd like an expert to consult and just check some things. She could do a mood board for me, right, where I just put in my briefing. These are the kind of things I like and she could create a mood board. So it's also thinking of how can I give people a way to experience who I am and build the trust and perhaps people who don't necessarily right away have uh, the money for the big thing, or at least they don't want to invest that right away into then something bigger. In fact, the same thing I did with a, um, uh, she was a music uh, consultant, I think we called it, it's sort of a music agency, but it was her for weddings. And it was the same thing. You know, some people want the full symphony package for the venue and the um, church and all the bells and whistles. But then she also then started offering calls where you could, you know, I kind of want this. I know I maybe want a string quartet. And then she can go, no, actually, these are some options and so on. Right. And that's just a call. Really easy for her to offer and also a great way for other people to experience her. And of course, the natural next step for them were to be, wow, I loved how Rosie taught me through. She clearly knows what she's doing. I'd much rather she just sorted it all myself. So that's another consideration in terms of the progression and kind of entrance into your world before you do the full, uh, beautiful palace that you're going to design for. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So having a sort of entry level offer to bring people into your world as a paid customer can then help to progress them onto maybe your higher ticket, higher priced services mm -hmm. and products that you might also have. Since it feels like a good point to move on to pillar four, which is about personal brands. In my experience, it's not it's not that common to see the face of the business behind the architecture practice. It, it's not really that common in our industry. So, I mean, what, what would be the benefit of building your personal brand in an industry where not many others bother? Oh, well, all the better. I think that's that's a great question. So, you know, some of us find it a bit uncomfortable. I know people and probably myself in the past as well find oh, that I'm a brand. It feels horrible. It's one thing to market. Look, check out this beautiful bottle 
of perfume over here that we've designed. It's amazing. It's another thing to say, hey, check me out. I'm amazing. You should pay me lots of money. The truth is that people buy from people. And I think especially with, with solopreneurs starting out, we want to look bigger. And so we hide behind a big brand name and say, we this and the company, and we lose the personal touch. Some companies, uh, well, it's not companies, it's people on Instagram, for example, when I'm trying to message them, I can't even find their name. Hello, um, not sure what your name is, but you know, I see that you do. And that's a really odd thing that they've, they've gone so far to try to be big and professional that they've lost the personal touch. We buy from people, ultimately, whether it's a big company or it's a small individual, and um, it allows you to go beyond being just a commodity, right? If there's lots of coaches, lots of people who do this, lots of whatever it is, if you have a unique personal story or personality or style or whatever it is, that can really elevate you. And, and by definition, you're going to be then differentiated versus your competitors. What I found interesting when you said this to me when we talked a little bit ahead of the interview was I obviously checked out our architects and and I don't want to name them, although I kind of do because they've done an amazing job and we love the house. But when I went on, there's a generic picture, black and white, of kind of the local area here. Um, I went onto the about page, there's no photos, there's no story. And I chatted to my partner again um, just before this call and, and he reconfirmed that the reason why we chose to work with them and the reason why I would recommend them to someone else is that it was a young couple and um, their kids actually go to the same school as us. Uh, you know, they... They were a small startup boutique, uh, really cared about their customers and they have great designs and so on. But all these reasons, they're just nowhere to be seen. Like, of course, they can't, don't need to write on their website that their kids go to the school. That's not what I mean. But that personal touch, completely missing from the site. And as lucky as you all are with the fact that you have such a visual industry, anyone who does design and, and anything tangible, you can show them. I find it much harder, of course, to show. I can't sort of show pictures of the thing I do because it's so intangible. So of course the design of the buildings and the blueprints and the plans and whatever else, that's all important. But who is it behind it? I think that's really missing. And if, as you say, and seems to be validated here, a lot of people aren't doing that, I think that could really give you the edge and help you to stand out even more so by building a personal brand that attracts people to you because they know, like, and trust you, as we say, as well as then, of course, liking your designs. But it starts with the person, I think, and the design is almost secondary. So had it not been for that, the personal connection that actually wasn't via their website, that you perhaps might never have connected with them or chosen to work with that particular practice. There might be other customers out there that are looking for an architectural practice to work with. And maybe that's what they're finding on a lot of the sites, that there is that lack of personality behind the brand. Um, it is often, you know, the company logo and uh, flashy pictures of finished projects and not much about the people behind the practice. Actually, um, I'm just going to name check, actually, Bob Gentle. I had a chat with Bob. We did a episode number six, I think it was, where he talked specifically about personal branding. So if you're listening to this episode, you want to learn a little bit more about personal branding, go back and find episode number six and take a listen to that. So the last pillar of this framework is about work-life integration. And that's interesting. This is different. We're not using the term work-life balance, which is often a terminology that's used when people think about uh, integrating work and life. As a small practice owner and someone that works from home myself, my work life and personal life haven't always fitted together in perfect harmony. Do you have any thoughts on how to improve that 
work-life integration. Absolutely. And, and it's a whole episode in itself or a whole world. And I'm so passionate about this and it might seem like semantics, but for me, work-life balance just doesn't make sense. Balance actually is, I would say, one of my core values, but work is a part of life. It makes no sense to me to separate them. You can't just put work here and life here. And also, if you imagine the sort of scales that you usually picture when you say that balance, it implies that if you have more work, by definition, you have less life, <laughs> which is the usual direction. Or in corporate context, when we're talking about having more work-life balance, the implication is, oh, you're going to work less so that you can have more time for your family. And I don't see it as that sort of zero-sum game, I suppose. I see it as very much um, mutually reinforcing and a positive synergy so you know i joke that we can't quite make it seamless but certainly if we're striving for it to work harmoniously in everything from the practicalities of having a calendar to manage you know we had um school things we had to go and do or your calls and everything just to make sure that works as well and um, but also from how you're showing up and who you are as a person for me it's so important and i know it's an overused word but to be myself to be authentic and i'm sure bob talked about that in the personal brand as well it makes it far easier for us all, let's face it. It means that I can have a call with you. Abby's amazing. I'm lucky to be working in an area where I could talk about these things for days. It's things that I care about and it's sort of things I'm thinking about all the time anyway. And then I can, when we finish, I'm actually can keep working, but let's say it was the end of the day, turn off the computer, close the door to my study, off I go. So work-life integration is not about not having any boundaries. It's not about working on your holiday and doing your laundry during, you know, your working hours necessarily, but it is about finding a way to make it work for you. And that requires, first of all, that you know what your priorities are, what's important to you. Um, and then secondly, it does require some less sexy kind of planning and structure and so on. But to me, structure is what gives you the freedom, ironically. Um, it can be hard for creatives to kind of have that structure. But I think, you know, if you want to make progress on certain goals, if you want to actually then have time freed up for family or holidays or hobbies or courses or whatever else and you do need to have a certain element of prioritization planning and structure to make sure you hit those goals you get the things done that you want to get done so that huh, now I can take a breath be present with my kids you know go for a run whatever it is I want to do and not worry about the things I've kind of left on my to-do list so as a concept I find work-life integration to be much more valuable makes much more sense uh now that you've explained that, uh, that there is yeah the, the work-life balance terminology isn't quite right is it what would be your top recommendations then just to kind of summarize everything what would be your top recommendations for anyone that's thinking of starting a business or who maybe feels like their current business just isn't working right now and maybe they're feeling like they need to make some changes. Do you have any recommendations for for those groups of people? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you mentioned a while back self-awareness and I think curiosity is a great place to start and understanding yourself and again, a little bit sort of those push-pull reasons, whether it's a job that you want to leave or in fact that, as you said, you've recreated your job or you've created something that's not quite fitting with how you wanted it to be. It doesn't mean that you have to start from scratch by any means, but just giving yourself the time to explore what's working, what's not working so well, understanding yourself, your strengths, your preferences, your personality, what do you like doing? You know, what does that look like? And that's, you know, it can take longer than you want perhaps, but it's the absolute foundation for everything else. If you then work out what you want, then you can work out the plan to get there. You can get help 
from the right kind of person or course or whatever to fill those gaps. And and once you succeed, that success will be really personally meaningful and rewarding to you. So I'd say, you know, take this time and it's a good time of year to kind of reflect on what's important to you. And I think we should do that uh, at least once a year, if not more often. Um, check in where are the gaps between where you are today. And then to make it really tangible, just take little steps. Just decide to make one shift. You don't have to quit your job today. You don't have to change your business model tomorrow. But just thinking about how can you realign a little bit and you'd be surprised even just shifting the way you're thinking about things, asking different questions, showing up with a different energy can actually make a huge difference. So dream big, have a big ambitious vision of something exciting and different perhaps, but then start small with with little steps to get you there. Great advice. Thanks, Anna. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we we haven't already covered today in the course of the conversation? No, I think we've, we've covered plenty and I don't want people to get too overwhelmed. So again, you know, I hope it's been useful to think about both the overall uh, perspective of, of defining what success looks like for you, because I think a lot of us don't think in those terms. And I certainly didn't. I was very much on that conveyor belt of just kind of doing, doing, doing and looking up from time to time and thinking about, hang on a second, to, to throw in another metaphor, is your ladder leaning against the wrong wall, right? If you're climbing, climbing, climbing and, and you get to the top, you're like, hang on, <laughs> where am I? This is not where I wanted to be. I think that's a good sign that, that you want to change something. And then just remembering why you started in the first place, right? Just come back to those original reasons and and find a way you know again I've been doing this for 10 years now I've had twists and turns and evolutions but I'm always looking or from time to time at least looking for ways to to rethink where I'm going make sure it still works and my life my goodness has changed a lot you know you mentioned when I left my job I was carefree and single and then I met someone and now I've got my little kids and you know life changes so so your evolution of success is going to continue to to change but but i think that's what makes life exciting isn't it it makes it interesting otherwise we'd be bored it's a journey not a destination as they say so yeah keep keep stay curious keep your eyes open and keep taking those little steps absolutely and it, it doesn't always go in a straight line does it that, that journey we can kind of zigzag around a little bit along the way i said earlier that we, we touched upon travel at the very beginning of our conversation i said we might swing back around to that so before we wrap things up, um, I, I love travel and discovering new places. So could you tell me about one of your favorite places and what you love about it? This could be near or far. Are there any places that spring to mind that you'd just like to share with, with me and the listeners? Oh gosh, where where to start? I mean, I love so many places. <laughs> I have to I have to fly a little flag for pool where I am now. I didn't even know this place existed because my my parents are Swedish, so my whole life we would travel often to Sweden over the summer and so, which of course I loved in Christmas, and I still do that now. So we didn't do the typical English seaside holidays, and I probably shouldn't tell too many people about it because I just love it and it does get busy during the summer. But I can see the Isle of Wight from my window here at my standing desk. Um, you know, every day the sea looks different it can be calm and still and then you have the paddle borders out and you're sort of contemplative and it's quiet and restful and very zen and then other days the other day I've never seen it so stormy and, and wild and then you've got the kite surfers out and and so on and you've always got the runners and the dog owners out whatever the weather is so it's always but it gives such an energy to you know compared to I certainly miss the museums and um culture and theatre and bars and things of London but my goodness what a what a quality of life to live here by the sea and it was always a lifelong 
dream of mine. I was thinking more like Hawaii or something when I was younger, when I was dreaming of the beach, but 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 I'm not going to complain. Pool is pretty beautiful. So there you go. Of all the places in the world, I've given you Dorset in the UK. I have, I've never been to Dorset and I've always, I've wanted to go. I'm actually, I'm reading a book at the moment um, and actually part of the story in the book, it, it's a real life story actually. It take Part of it takes place in Dorset. So yes, it's on my list of places to visit at some point. So uh, I should say, you I, know, we're I, very close to the New Forest as well. We're a couple of hours from London. It's not just the beach. I just happen to have a, a soft spot for for the beach. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's very well located. We went to Devon last summer, um, because actually, obviously, we're sort of closer towards Devon and Cornwall now. So it's mm. a great place to explore. So definitely come look me up when you're down here. We'll go for a Oh, Absolutely. I will let you know when I'm in the area for sure. That's been absolutely fantastic. And I thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and telling us all about your framework. Could you please just remind everyone again where they can grab the, well, where they can take the five pillars business assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So if it's useful, you know, and I hope you found my perspective um, inspiring and and this kind of prompted some different thoughts because of course again we can get so deep into our own expertise and I love John that you're building uh, building bringing people from different industries and and so on to bring those different perspectives I think that's so powerful and um, so the scorecard that we talked about with the five pillars there's ten questions to answer on each one just to give you an idea of perhaps where you could do with some more work maybe you want to work on your confidence or maybe as we've discussed today your personal brand could be an interesting area that's at onestepoutside.com forward slash scorecard great and if people would like to connect with you online where would be the best place for people to do that find your chosen uh, platform and i'll probably be there so um feel free to yeah, get in touch find me on linkedin you should be able to find me alas there is a famous actress with my name so my personal branding is quite challenging but hopefully if you put in anna lundberg coach um or you know you'll you'll find me on on linkedin instagram wherever so I'd love to chat and hear your insights as well. And and of course, you know, you'd mentioned business model and so on. If you think that, hang on a second, um, that wouldn't work for me or I've got this idea or so, and I'd be really interested. I always like to be, um, you know, challenged with different questions. So do get in touch if you have a different example or something you're a bit stuck on. I'd love to hear about it and see if we can figure it out. Oh, that's awesome. Very kind. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, John. Such a pleasure. Take care. Next time, I'll be chatting with James Talman about the National Federation of Roofing Contractors and how they can help architecture practices. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Architecture Business Club. If you liked this episode, think other people might enjoy it, or just want to show your support, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club, and leave a glowing five-star review. It would mean so much to me, and makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. If you just want to connect with me, you can do that on most social media platforms. Just search for at Mr. John Clayton. The best place to connect with me online, though, is on LinkedIn. You can find a link to my profile in the show notes. Remember, running your architecture business doesn't have to be hard, and you don't need to do it alone. This is Architecture Business Club.